You're listening to 90% Mental, Conversations with Grant Parr, Episode 70. Today, mental performance coach Grant Parr talks with Dr. Jennifer Welter, the first female NFL coach and former professional football player, where she shares her journey as an athlete and coach. In this interview, Coach Welter shares her love for the game of football, her perspectives on the topic of fear, and the whole process that led her to be named the first female NFL coach. Dr. Jennifer Welter will go down in history as one of the most influential females that affected gender boundaries within the game of football and how her passion and vulnerability created a platform for young females to feel accepted when playing football. I never once missed a game because of injury, and that had a lot to do with with how I played, and I think some of the people who have experienced differently maybe slowed themselves down and restricted their movements through that fear. So, I mean, I, I, I understand the, the thought, but it wasn't really how I played. Like I felt, I felt like I was in my element on the football field. And that doesn't mean that things didn't hurt or, that things didn't go wrong, but I was always like, you know, I, I felt like it was where I, I belonged and it was my destiny to be out there. That's beautiful. You know, I think there's, you know, fear a, is, is a weird thing. I think fear is actually self-created and it's, it's, it's in the future. It's very abstract. People, some people have a relationship with it. Some of them don't. Um, it seems like you have a healthy, I think just a a healthy image and confidence of who you are as an athlete. And, you know, maybe there was a little bit for at times, maybe not. But, you know, when you think of some of the things that athletes deal with, whether it's in the game of football or not, you know, some people are fearful of, you know, fear of failure, feel, fear of letting somebody down, fearful of you know, losing their, their starting job, fearful of not getting the scholarship, whatever that fear is. But it seems like what... Yeah, but that's... That's different than saying, you know, there's there's fear in this dangerous sport. Right. Right. Like right. those are yeah, you know, those are situational awarenesses of possible outcomes, right? And and you know, I mean, obviously losing a starting job is is a possibility, right? And nobody wants to lose a starting job. Um, but I think that you have to separate out the difference between like being aware of what you know, what your status is on a team versus being afraid on the field of play. Yeah, for sure. And I'm glad that you brought that up because uh, recently I read or not, I saw a video of Michael Jordan. He talked about, you know, being afraid and being scared. He's like, if you're, if you're afraid and scared, you're probably not prepared and you probably shouldn't play in that game in different words that he used, but it, it makes sense. He said, it's okay to be a little bit fearful and have some nerves, but he said, but if you're afraid or scared, you're probably not prepared. Well, I mean, and the difference is this, right? Like it, you talk about nerves. Okay. Well, nerves, uh, like physiologically, nerve, uh, anxiety and excitement manifests exactly the same way. So it's only the translation in your mind that's saying I'm excited about this versus I'm afraid or I'm nervous about this outcome. It, you know, you're, it, it's like a first date, right? Like your, your hands get sweaty, all of those things. 
And it's like, are you nervous? Well, yeah, because the outcome is unsure, right? But it doesn't mean you can't translate that into excitement. Those can't be proactive. So a lot of that is really the interpretation in your mind of what those physiological symptoms mean. You know, I remember um, I was talking to a guy once who asked for my help and it was on an airplane and he was talking, so you have a doctor. Yeah. He said, you know, I, I have all of a sudden developed a fear of public speaking and I don't know where it came from. And he was like, you know, that's, that's a big part of my business. And Okay, well, you know, most of the time you don't just try and develop a fear for no reason. So let's just unpack it. Can you tell me about the first time you felt this fear? So yeah, you know, it was this big speech. I've been up all night, and you know, um, I, I got there. You know, I, I was uh, it was hot. You know, I just uh, I was I hadn't slept a lot. I said, okay, have anything to eat? He said, no, you know, I, I haven't really eaten much. And he's like, I said, okay. Did you have coffee? Yeah, I did. I, you know, I had to, I had to do something to get me going. Okay. So did you drink anything else? And he said, orange juice. And I said, okay. I said, why did you look that way? And he said, you know, Jen, I haven't been able to drink orange juice since that day. And I said, okay. Um, so what do you remember? And he said, man, I was, I was sweating. I was. You know, my, my pulse was fast. I just, it was, it was bizarre. And I said, okay, were you afraid? Were you nervous? And he said, well, I mean, I don't, I don't think so. But I don't actually remember being nervous. And I just started laughing. And I said, because you weren't. Your brain has filled in the blanks and said that you were nervous. Because you looked back and you had all the physiological symptoms of being nervous. Your palms were sweaty. It was hot. You had not slept. Your, your underarms were sweating. Your heartbeat was fast because you had caffeine. And then you added juice to the equation, which probably made your stomach sick because you had a highly acidic beverage on an empty stomach and the sugar went right to you. And it just spiked your insulin levels crazy. And then you crashed. And all of these things were a cycle, which explains why you haven't had orange juice. And he just looked at me and he was like, you know, his face just lit up. And he was like, that's, that's amazing. Yeah, so all you need to do is go through basically like with some, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy and, and go back through the situation and realize, like, retrain your brain to realize that you weren't actually nervous because you don't have a fear of public speaking. You shouldn't have, you know, orange juice and coffee on an empty stomach in, in, a, in a hot dungeon building and, <laughs> and, you know, sweat your underarms out. Wow. And he was just like, you know, and, and he just, he couldn't even fathom the fact that he wasn't nervous. And, you know, that's what our brains want to do. They want to tell a story and we have the ability to fill in certain keys and cues within those narratives, right? Like fear a lot of the times is, is manifested by the excitement and the, the situational awareness that this means something and the outcome isn't promised 
and you are hyped for it. And then you look and there's a lot of interpretation that takes place in your brain. And so the good thing is, you know, the beauty of our brains is, is that we can only hold one thought at a time, right? And that's where it comes into the need to be able to refocus in the moment, to take all of that bigness out of the situation. Who's watching? What's on the line? You know, the cameras, the this, the that, and just go back to what is it in this one moment that I need to do to be successful? Who am I looking at? I'm seeing the quarterback. Or I'm reading. I'm reading the line. What is my stock count? What are those things that, that you can slow down, right? That you can focus in on the football and not look at the millions of people that are watching. Make something very big be something very, very manageable and very small and very routine that you've done it 100,000 times because you took those distractors out of the way. And you allowed yourself to be hyper-focused as opposed to fearful and distracted. Yeah, totally. And, and I love how you broke down the process. You know, I, I love the term do simple better. Sometimes when you can just slow down, drop it in second gear and just break down in the process a little bit and slow it down, you know, and just simplify mm-hmm. it. Right. And I, you know, I work with all levels of athletes, but it's, when you're dealing with high school athletes, especially when you're, because they're still they're still playing with the idea of, you know, fear and good stress and bad stress and anxiety and good pressure and bad pressure, and so when you when you ask them questions, uh, you know, about fear and about stress, it's um, it's mind blowing to hear how they deal with it. And when you're talking about nerves, I love this because I, I do. From time to time, you know, when someone says I'm nervous, I'm like, are you nervous or are you excited? And some of them are mm-hmm. like, wait, 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 I can, I can be excited? <laughs> I'm like, do you love mm-hmm. this sport? Absolutely. Yeah, okay. exactly. And so it's just, you know, Absolutely. And, and getting them that relationship with nerves, you know, it's, uh, I tell them all the time, when you feel nervous, tell yourself this is a good feeling. And some of them look at me like, what is this dude talking about? And I'm like, it's because uh-huh. if you tell yourself it's negative, you're going to believe it. And guess what? You're going to be a downward spiral and you're not going to get yourself, you're not going to put yourself in the best position to start the game. So control the energy, tell yourself it's great because it actually is and control it and use it all the way up to the beginning of the game. And so they're like, yep. whoa. And, and when you can control that energy, it's beautiful. Yeah. I mean, you know, I've had guys have the same conversation, you know, and, and guys who, you know, it's so funny, a lot of them weren't even my position guys. And, and it would be that moment in the hallway of like, hey, hey, coach, can I, you know, can I talk to you for just a second? Like, you know, and it, whether it was nerves or refocusing after a bad play or any of those things, just being able to slow it down and, and make it manageable and allowing them to have an opportunity to digest what was going on, right? Not just putting it into a bucket, not just throwing it, you know, on the, oh, we can't talk about that burner, you know, like it just allowing it to be slowed down and broken down and giving them an actual technique to call upon in those situations. Um, it really does tend to change the dynamic. For, for sure. When you talk about the, the other side of nerves, right? Um, I had a conversation last year with a quarterback, and he was like, "Coach, why is it every time I start the game and 
I just, I'm, I f- I'm always yawning and I feel a little bit lethargic. I'm like, so what are you, f- like, what are you feeling and thinking when that happens? And he goes, that I'm not probably going to be good in the game. I'm like, it's kind of crazy, right? Because you've broken every single record in school history and you broke the school, mm-hmm. every single record that Tom Brady broke. So what, and I had to walk him through like, yeah, we typically get all nervous and we, you know, our body's telling us we have this reaction or the other way goes is where we slow down, we get lethargic, we start yawning. That's okay. Again, when that happens, mm-hmm. tell yourself it's okay. So it's, it's interesting right. when you're like dealing with the whole range of, of that topic. Absolutely. Uh, and, you know, everybody has their, their own zone that, that they, you know, they perform best in. For sure. And, and to be able to tap into that and capture that and be able to bring yourself back to it um, is is something that's powerful and that they can take into to many situations. You know, I mean, I have people ask all the time, they're like, like, you know, my players used to do it too. It was so funny. They'd be like, how do you get up on stage and talk like that? I would be terrified. And meanwhile, I'm like, dude, you tackle people in front of millions of people. And having a conversation is scary, right? Like, and they'd be like, "Coach, oh, this is a conversation." And I'm like, "But it is. Right? It can be, right? It can be the same way as you know. You can catch a pass in front of millions of people. You can actually make a statement, right, to one person as as if it's in in millions. And um, you know, it's just it's interesting how we how we frame those things within our comfort zone." Yeah, it's for sure. You know, it's so funny because when you were bringing up the gentleman that was on the plane, you know, talked to you about his situation, about um, having the fear of, of public speaking. I, in my entire life, I've always been a leader in football, um, in all sports. I love pregame, you know, conversations. I love the, the, you know, the ability to be a leader. I love that. And that carried me throughout my corporate life. But as I went through some things in my life, I started to lose my confidence in front of speaking in front of people. And I used to like love it. Like I used to, I used to get so much joy from it. And then certain things happened and I started to get really uh, less confident. I started to self-doubt, negative self-talk. It just, I was getting crippled. But other things were happening uh, in the result of that. But when I started to get out of that funk, the things that mm-hmm. kept me going were these three things that I still say this very day. Every time that I do public speaking, every time I work with a team, I always say in my car, I get to do this. They want to hear me and be joyful. And those three things, they just, they lock me in. And, and finding those things are really powerful, you know. Yeah. Like I tell people, and I, I, I use a lot of humor when I talk, um, and I use a lot of humor in life with the absurdities that I've been through. Like, you know, it, it just kind of is, right? Like I laugh often. Um, you do it as a player, do it now, whether it's, you know, coaching or as a speaker. And I've had people ask, like, how is it so fluent, you know, when you get up there and speak? And I said, because my philosophy of speaking is, like, it should be as if we are sitting at a bar and you're like, no, 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 really, tell me about that. And I'm like, all right, all right, all right, all right, all right. <laughs> and, and I'm having a conversation as if it's, you know, a few people, and it might be a few hundred. And I really will, like, you know, people who know me know, like, if I'm going to speak, I don't want a podium, and I don't want a chair. 
because I'm not going to sit down. I'm going to walk around. I'm going to tell stories. I'm going to use my hands. And I'm going to engage with people because it's about an experience. And so to me, it really is having those conversations. And a lot of this time dealing with people in, you know, a big group as if they were a small group. And it also allows me, for example, change what I was going to talk about just a little bit because maybe the audience is a little bit different or something really resonates with them and you feel the need to expand on it a little further. And that's a comfort level that, you know, a lot of people don't have in those situations. And, you know, I frankly tell them, I'm like, well, it's my story. I'm always right. It's just what, what part of my story am I going to share with you in terms of my expertise and where that experience is going to resonate with you the most. Mm. You will never, you know, if you were to listen to all of the speeches that I've ever given, you know, certain stories are common, right? Like they, they are because, you know, everybody wants to hear such and such or, right. you know, that's my speech topic. But how that story unfolds or where it goes from the beginning, middle, and end um, will be different each time. And it's a subtle difference because it's not a memorized speech. And I think that those things are important, you know, and, and sometimes it's, it's as much of like, you can just see that, that something narrates or, you know, I walked into situations before where it was the same talk and yet the audience was maybe a hundred percent female. Well, you know, some of the stories I tell are going to be a little different when they're 100%. Right. <laughs> because guess what? Yep. Certain things are going to resonate more. For sure. But the speech topic on the paper was exactly the same. And I think that when you have the confidence to realize your skill within a situation, you're a lot more comfortable with those factors that may be a little bit different than how you would have spelled it out. Maybe the maybe the starting lineup changed at the last minute, right? And, you know, they have somebody in there that you hadn't seen before. Well, you know, you don't always get to control those things, but when you're fluent and comfortable in your ability to do your job, then you can get better at, say, you know, dealing with that particular lineman by just paying attention. Totally. And I, I love it when you said, like, it's my story, like, there's not, you know, there's not the wrong part of it. Like you're not going to, you know, like you're, it's like my story. Like I'm, I'm going to be okay. It's like, this is, you know, this is going to be easy. And I, and I, I tell myself that too, again, depends on who your audience is and how you direct and say certain things. You know, obviously I try to, I'm mindful of what I say as far as cussing because you know from an authentic standpoint i do i cuss but i have to be i have to be mindful <laughs> but i also do know that like when i do cuss it's an icebreaker and right. like you know and when you're throwing a a shit out there you know when you've been really serious about a topic at the high school level like and even at the collegiate level like when you just say that everyone just starts to laugh and smile you know mm -hmm. um so just kind of reading the defense if you will on on your audience and how you kind of maneuver your uh, your approach so so good stuff that. there. Yep, good stuff. Well, I want to get into, uh, this is a two-part question, and it's about when you were named the first NFL female coach, because I can only imagine how awesome that was. What was it like when you were named the first NFL female coach, and what was it like being on the sideline for your first game? 
Well, you know, being named is is interesting because, you know, I'd already known for a while. Um, I I didn't want it to get out, so really no one knew. A few select people did, like for the fact that I had to to move. But I knew it was important that it be done the right way and that it came from the team and that that news didn't leak. So I think that was the hardest thing is like you're like really excited because you're about to do something super epic and you can't really tell many people because you don't know what's going to happen if you tell them. So it was kind of this weird mix of emotions. And then, you know, all of a sudden you're thrust from relative anonymity to an NFL press conference. And that could defeat even the most confident of person because it's, it's, you know, crazy room of reporters that like, you can't even imagine how full it is and all of these cameras and all of these microphones and everybody's looking at you. And it was just, for me, I'm just glad that I, that I spoke truth into the situation and I didn't let it be too big or too formal. Like, I remember um, it was a funny thing. This guy was like, you know, how does it feel to, to be a trailblazer or something like that? And I was like, oh, uh, you know, it's kind of like, well, you know, if this or that is being a trailblazer then, and B.A. just goes, yeah, she's a trailblazer. <laughs> <laughs> and it was like, you know, I was like, oh, thanks, Coach. Right? Like, he could say it. I couldn't because it still felt, you know, um, surreal and and i'm not you know i i always tell people actually i I hate the phrase trailblazer because all it means is that you're the one who gets all the branches to the face Mm. um it's kind of not my face my favorite phrase because it's like oh look i took all of these branches to the face i cut them down i moved the trees i i i rolled the boulders and it was hard and it was nasty and it was ugly and it didn't look right. You know, it was really hard work. And the next person gets to skippity doo dah through and say, oh, what a lovely trail. You know, like that's what being a trailblazer actually means. If you've been there, like you're the one who has all the tough hits and you are a good fullback, right? Like if we go into football terms, you're a good fullback. You are a great lead blocker. So that was just kind of a, a crazy thing. But, you know, I, I, apparently did well you know the the press conference was actually viewed quite a bit and i remember you know telling people about the 12 dollars check i got from playing women's football and really you know kind of making some points to it and and telling the truth in the situation and you know a lot of that played very well you know like i remember um them handing me this giant helmet and it was like, I think it was bigger than my whole torso, right? I like, and I'm like, plan it to be this marquee media moment but um right you know i love the fact that i was so myself in that situation because i think a lot of the times you know we lose what the person is really like because 
you know, something is so formal or so big that we never get to meet them. Um, and I think people got to meet me. In terms of being on the NFL sidelines for the first time, you know, that was that was crazy. Um, I'm thankful that we actually played, you know, we actually practiced at University of Phoenix Field throughout training camp. So the field wasn't different. So there was something familiar about it, even though the moment was much bigger. Mm-hmm. It was like, you know, your home and, you know, you, you know where to go and you don't feel lost. But what was funny is, you know, one of the things that was so special about that game was a handshake that took place before that game. And, you know, in every football game from PVC pros before the game, you know, the the referees and coaches shake hands. And at that game, it was the first time in the history of the national female or the national football league that that handshake took place between two women. And it was Sarah Thomas and myself. And I remember they had had me standing at like this spot so we could, you know, accidentally run into each other at a, you know, prearranged time, which I just thought was really funny because I'm standing in a set spot to accidentally run into somebody. And it's, you know, it's such an awkward thing. And like, yet everybody who looks at the pictures of Sarah and I shaking hands, they're like, Jen, you guys are both laughing. Like, what did you say? Because they all knew it was me, right? right. Like, you know, it's going to be me. I cut jokes. That's what I do. Like, right. I, I like to lighten up these awkward moments. Awesome. And it was um, earlier that day. Well, it wasn't that day. It was, you know, earlier that week when my linebackers found out that the lady ref was going to be at the game, you know, linebackers are crazy. You know, we cut jokes. We, you know, we're camped up all the time. They were like, man, you know, what would be epic? And I'm like, God, what would be epic? And they're like, if you totally like got your face and challenged to call. And I was like, okay, so what would not be epic is that I would probably be wrong, right? But, you know, I mean, I would play linebacker. So, you know, she tried to go there like I could handle things, right? right. And I was just laughing. And, and so I told this story to Sarah. Now, what I didn't realize in, in you know, telling that to them was like, you know, Sarah Thomas is really tall. She's like at least 5'10". Mm-hmm. So you don't have telling this story up into her face about how, like, I would have gotten in her face, which really would have been closer to her chest. Yeah. Um, and, and probably not very intimidating, right, if I were to, you know, not even be able to, you know, she'd be looking at the top of my head. And she just looked at me after I told her, and she goes, oh, girl, I have seen your game film. I want none of you. And we, you know, we just laughed. And that moment solidified what is, to this day, a dear friendship of mine. And, you know, so I... So I I lovingly say that they were huge moments, and yet I was huge myself in them. Um, and I think that that's, number one, what makes them so special to me, but what also helped me do so well in those big moments is that, you know, I didn't change, but I, I didn't transform into some being that nobody who knew me would recognize. Like, I was still, you know, very much myself. It's beautiful that you just you stayed authentic, and and the reason why I brought up that that question about you know what was it like being on the sideline because I love culture I just do whether if it's uh, in corporate um, setting or in a football 
any sport, I just love culture. And you, you're changing culture and you're breaking gender boundaries. And, I, and that I love that. And I remember when I saw you on the sideline and I remember when I moved on from being an athlete, I still had that feeling as a coach when I was on the sideline of like, this is the greatest game of all. Like I, I like this shit can mm-hmm. never get old. Like I love it. And there was a moment that there was this cool, I don't, I can't even describe it. You were just, you were in it, you were there and you were smiling. I'm like, how cool is that? And then it showed you shaking hands and hugging some of the players. And for me, like human connection is like why I'm here on this earth. And I love connecting with people. I love being part of culture and to see what you're doing within the game of football. And just it to see that like the first time to see these football players on a football field, national football league, hugging you and giving you guys a high five. I'm like, <laughs> that is, that is unreal. Like it was cool to me. So I've been waiting. To ask, and like, we're still very, you know, and we're still very much like that, you know. Um, it's it's interesting because I'll, I'll see my players and I'll be like, man, coach, I love you. And, you know, their wives will be like, coach, he really does. Like, smack him in the back of the head for me every once in a while because, you know, and I'll just laugh because they're family. And, and that's what a lot of people don't realize is, like, you know, we say football family and that, that it does transcend. And yet, it, obviously, it was, you know, it was a fear that, that they had, like, could they be themselves? Could they joke in front of me? Would it, you know, would it change the locker room dynamics? And they're like, I don't know, it's sin. Right? Like, one of my one of my players from Legends, I just saw him, um, gosh, just a couple of days ago. And he's now with the Carolina Panthers. And he's, you know, six foot seven, TJ Barnes. And he was my guy. I was like, I, you know what? I'm going to fix his pad level. I'm going to get him low. And I used to make him come directly out of his stance and have to pick me up because he's a protector. And I knew that he wouldn't hurt me. And so his pad level was too high at first, and he got lower and lower because he didn't want to hurt me coming out of his stance. And I would make him practice it. And, you know, I, I sat with him and his wife and his baby the other day, and he was like, you know, I don't know what people would say that. He'd be like, no, it's Jen. We're good. Like, and he's like, I still get out more times about you. If like, what was it like being coached by a girl? And he'd be like, I don't know. I just know about being coached by Jen. Right? Awesome. And, and, and to me, those, those, are, those are the magic moments. Right? Like, you, you can get past some of those fears and insecurities through the day. And, you know, he got better in his stance. And, you know, and then he demoed it to other guys. We'd be like, oh, yeah, that's, you know, that's, that's what she does. Are you going to do it? And they'd be like, no, I don't want to hurt her. And he was like, if you do it right, you won't hurt her. And I was, I was laughing because I'm like, hmm, where'd you get that from? Wow. You know? Uh, that's cool. And, and it, just, it, it is special like that. But, you know, they do. And they'll be like, man, I love you. Or, you know, they'll call and say, oh, I got a workout here. Look at this. Or what do you think about this? And, and to be able to have that, uh, that bond, I think, is particularly special within football because it is a sport where we're expected to be some of the roughest, toughest humans on the face of the planet. And to be able to have somebody who really is about the interpersonal connections, right, and, and sees you as not only a player but also a person um, and probably a person first and foremost, 
that's part of why I was so effective with them because, you know, I knew them and they knew I wanted the best for them. And, and there was no doubt that I would do whatever I could help to help them in, in keeping me life. And we, you know, we got close through football and through life, whether it was life stuff that I wanted to talk about or, you know, football stuff that they were like, oh, she really knows her stuff. Like, that's what the game does. I love it. It's beautiful to hear all that. It's, I mean, I don't care what gender you are. I just, I love the fact that, you know, when you have that relationship with your players, but, but the fact that you are female and you have that connection and they see you as Jen, not as this female coach, man, that's, that's huge. Um, and, and talk about, you know, memories and moments, um, and, and having these beautiful moments with these players. I can only imagine how awesome that feeling is. Oh man, I love them. And, and they know it. And, and, you know, I've gotten, um, you know, they know they can call me anytime, but it's, it's interesting because I'll get guys who I didn't coach who are like, Hey, you know, so-and-so gave me your number and, and he said he'd be good to talk to you. Like, do you have a minute? And I'm like, yeah, absolutely. Like that's family, whatever you need. And to know that that level of trust extended beyond even, you know, just our personal relationship for them to feel comfortable, um, you know, extending that, um, those moments are magic to You know, I, I, up until this point, you've lived a really cool life and you have done a lot of great things. And so <laughs> you really have. And when you think about your proudest moment, and this might be a hard question to answer, um, and I'm, I might not be adding all of them on this list, but when you think about all your proudest moments, being named the first NFL, NFL female coach, winning championships, gold medals, earning your master's, your PhD, what do you think is your proudest moment? Um, you know, I, I don't rank order them. I think they're all special for, for very different reasons. Um, you know, I have a life philosophy to never live my life in a rearview mirror. I always want my, my best accomplishment to be my next one because I, I don't ever want to feel like I'm done. I don't want to ever feel like, you know, I was this person and that's all I'll ever be. You know, I don't, I don't want to be the, the, you know, Ed Bundy sitting on my couch talking about, you know, the four touchdowns I threw in one game at Polk high school. Um, <laughs> and, and I think that that's part of what defines me, right. Is, is I've done great things and I try to continually expand my universe to do other cool and different things and to use those experiences to give people permission to do their own other and cool things, right? It's not a competition. It's about like, you know, the human existence and what we're capable of. Mm. And if I could do this, what can you do in your space? Like I remember even when I was writing my book and we were talking about it, the, the writer who worked with me, you know, we were talking about it, and she said something. She was like, well, you know, what if, what if I'm, I, I'm not going to be famous? Or, you know, what if I can't make history? And I said, well, why can't you? And she told me about it probably a year later. She was like, Tifa, I never shook that moment. She was like, because I had thought, like, I couldn't do that. Or, I, you know, I couldn't be famous or I couldn't. And she was like, and you just looked at me like, why not? Like, right. you don't know that yet. Right. And, and I think that that's the overall thing that I'm most proud of 
is that I've had so many people say it gave them permission to, right? Whatever that to is, whether it was, you know, to try something new or to, you know, get up and do something that they wouldn't have or to just own being themselves. Like that to me is, is um, a, a ripple effect, which is where the real power comes from, right? It's not just what I did. It's, it's what happens from maybe what I did or the mentality that I had in doing it. And, um, and, and I think that's why I'm so outspoken about it because too often um, I think that great things happen and we don't necessarily know about them or we don't know the people behind them and realize that they're real humans with real, you know, ups and downs and face plants and, you know, side steps and, and everything else that goes into the equation. For sure. Absolutely. You know, that's, uh, thank you for sharing that. Um, this has been, been really cool. And I have a couple quick questions here before, before we end. Um, I think what you've done for the game of football, what you've done for women, women is incredible. I think what you're doing right now for young women in the sport of football is awesome. Can you share a little bit about, uh, the football camps that you're running for girls right now? Yeah. So I started, um, Learn girls, um, because, you know, I realized after I got out of the NFL that I was coaching at a whole bunch of football camps and none were for girls. And so I thought, well, you know, why is nobody doing football camps for girls? So I kind of looked around and, and nobody was doing it. Some girls were playing, you know, Florida, my home state of Florida was first to have it be a varsity sport for girls. And I just thought, well, this is a no brainer, right? Like, of course, everybody will get this first female coach. Like, we're going to do some football camps. Cool. And everybody was like, yeah, we don't, we don't actually know, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I just got all of these reasons why it couldn't work. And it pissed me off, to be honest. You know, I'm a linebacker. Like, tell me what I can't do. I'm going to stick my toe in the dirt and do it anyway and probably do it better. <laughs> right. And, you know, I mean, we, we, we play runner path, all right? We're, we're used to having to go both ways. And you know what? This pissed me off. It didn't back me up, right? Like, I was not going to pass on this opportunity. I was pissed. And I was like, okay. I, I talked to a couple of people. I um, talked to the NFL alumni and, you know, got a, a partnership with them and do a national tour of flag football camps for girls with no backing, no finances beyond my own because I knew it was the right thing. And I remember working on authoring some of the literature for the Keep Playing Like a Girl campaign. And, you know, I'm rounding a little bit on the numbers, but seven out of ten girls uh, – feel they don't belong in sports. Seven out of 10 girls feel society doesn't support them in sports. And seven out of 10 girls feel there are not enough visible female role models in sports. Five out of 10 will opt out of sports by the time they finish puberty. Well, of course they will. If they feel like they are not supported, they don't belong, and there's no one that they can connect to and say, I want to be her, then of course they're going to have problems in sports change my life. So I realized in that moment that if that if I wasn't doing it, if I wasn't out there being that person and, you know, giving them a person that they could connect to who could show them that they could do anything and that they could do anything, even play football, then the wrong woman was the first female coach in the NFL because, mm -hmm. you know, I had to, to be that person. And so my goal was to do 12 camps in the first year. We ended up doing, I think, 19 in the first year. We've done 20 total 
Tampa Bay Buccaneers were the first team to officially bring us in. We had had support from Miami Dolphins and some former and current players before that. The next team that's bringing us in, Chicago Bears, actually a couple of days. And, you know, and Adidas actually came behind and, and, and sponsored them. And Adidas brought me, they, you know, worked with me as their first female um, asset in football, which, you know, people don't think about those things. If you have, you know, guys who sign their Adidas contract all the time, right? You have Patrick Holmes and Juju Smith and, you know, some of these other guys. And, and there had never been a woman who was in the same category as them. So to be able to open that up, you know, to me, it's, it's continuing to change the game and, and to help it evolve um, to be on the front of innovation. And, you know, in addition to that, um, the success of the camps, the difference of the camps, I don't know which it is, but attracted the attention of a, um, a company called Toyo, which is all female um, game developers. They develop Minecraft worlds. And all of the Minecraft worlds they are, are um, that they design are based on strong women, because 44% of all girls who are gamers, or 44% of all gamers are girls. Sorry, I said that badly. Um, and yet there are very few female protagonists that they get to play and be and want to be like. So, not much different than say in sports. And they approached me about doing a series of of Minecraft worlds called Coach Jen and their football players um, who are coached by me and I get to be that um, that voice and that person and there's a little Jen and I am little in a game which I think is funny even in my own video game I'm small um, <laughs> but you know to me that was a way to socialize it because when I went to the camps and I thought it would be easy I didn't realize how hard it was going to be but the biggest objection for a lot of the girls was this is a boy sport and everybody told me it's a boy sport and I can't do a boy sport. Once we got in, once we got them in the game, easy, right? Like I, I could change their world, no problem. But getting them to take that step, despite what is typically branded as a, a boy sport, is tough. And so what I realized is by, you know, meeting the kids where they were, coming and changing that perception through a video game, um, if you're used to playing a Minecraft world that has girls playing football and, and girls as a coach, then it's not as far leap to say, oh, I want to try that in real life. And, and why can't I? I've done it on a video game. I can do it out on the field as well. Yeah. And so to me, it's about recognizing the societal narratives and, and finding ways to infuse them with change. Awesome. That sounds exciting. Uh, you probably thought you weren't going to get into this type of, uh, you know, into the gaming industry in this in in this way, and also the way that it, it will help and affect women and within sport and football. That's yeah, I think, and the boys too. Yeah. You know, and, and that was one of the things that you know my my players would always remind me. They'd be like, Coach Jen, you you don't just inspire the girls, but you change the way guys think of girls. And I'm like, you're right. Thank you, right? Because you know I I've got to recognize it from their eyes too. You know, those guys have never had. A, a female coach before, and it was not even on their radar right prior to me going to the Cardinals that they could have a female coach. Yeah. And yet they were all so wonderful and have become some of my biggest advocates, but it was foreign to them too. And it changes not only how um, women and girls see themselves, but how men see women as well. And you know, that's, a, that's an important dynamic because, you know, 
uh, I tell people all the time, like, the advancement of society and specifically women in society or any minority cannot be an us versus them dynamic. Because if it's us versus them, we all lose. Right. right? Like, I, I went into a situation where there were zero women. So a woman couldn't open the door for me because she wasn't in the world. So a guy had to do it, which means we have to get better at being together. We have to understand each other better. We have to be more comfortable. It, it should be something that we impact the, the narrative as a whole. I agree with you 100%. I think it's, it's not about uh, creating more you know, boundaries and, and dividers. We have to come together. We have to connect. And there's so much, there's so much good that both of us can do. When I say both of us, female and male, and um, and I'm I'm all for it. I think uh, I want more women in leadership. I want more women in sport, in football, because there's there's a huge need for it. And I just and what you're doing is awesome. And I think my goal of having you on my show is to to really sh- open the door to your mindset as an athlete, as a coach as a motivational speaker and i think we've done that i'm i'm just i'm a, i'm satiated on on the things that you've talked about and shared with me and my and my listeners today well it's, it's always a pleasure i mean i think the more we can give people a little bit of of juice in their thinking or challenge some of those those barriers that we have internally the better off we're all going to be for sure absolutely mm-hmm.